Sure, your staff is ready when you are. All right. Uh, good evening and welcome to the October 20th, 2022 Active Transportation Commission meeting. The meeting is now called to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video for roll call vote. Commissioner Brazel? Here. Commissioner Brynwostro? Here. Commissioner Heim? Here. Commissioner Heidorn? Here. Commissioner Hopp? Here. Commissioner Wardwaller? Appears to be absent. Vice Chair Pollins? Here. Chair Dewar Westbrook? Present. Thank you. And Commissioners Carpenter, Granville, and Harris are absent. We have a quorum. Great. Uh, this meeting is virtual via Zoom. For members of the public who wish to join, please refer to the agenda for the Zoom link. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, use the raise your hand feature to provide public comment when the chair confirms the public comment speaking period for your desired item. If you're joining us online, click raise your hand at the bottom of the screen. If you're joining us via phone in the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping raise hand option on the more tab. And if you're calling in via telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine, then to unmute or mute, dial star six. Speakers will be called on by the last four digits of their phone number. You will have three minutes to speak once you are called on and we'll now proceed with today's agenda. Okay, um, pl please raise for the opening acknowledgements in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. Oh, sorry about that. Okay, to the original people of this land, the Nusanon people, the Southern Maidu Valley and Plains Miwok Winton peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You can now be seated. All right, so our first business today is approval of the consent calendar. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on the consent calendar? Thank you, Chair. We currently have no members of the public with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from Commissioner Heidorn. Yeah, I just want to abstain from approving the minutes since I wasn't a commissioner in the prior meeting. Thank you. Is there anyone else that wishes to speak on the consent calendar? I move to approve. 
Okay, thank you, Commissioner Hopt. I second it. Thank you, Commissioner Hines, the dynamic duo. <laughs> I feel like I can always count on you two. Okay, so I have a motion by Commissioner Hopt, a second by Commissioner Hines. Will the clerk please call the roll for a vote? Yes, thank you. Commissioner Brazel? Aye. Commissioner Buenrostro? Aye. Commissioner Heim? Aye. Um, Commissioner Hydorm abstains. Commissioner Hopp? Aye. Commissioner Ward Waller? I also need to abstain. Vice Chair Pollins? Aye. And Chair Dear Westbrook? Aye. Thank you. Motion passes. Great. All right. We will now proceed to the discussion calendar. Item three is the Commission's staff report. Is there a staff presentation? Chair Dear Westbrook, yes, there is. Jennifer Dahlman Wyatt, Transportation Planning Manager. So happy to be with you all this evening. I have a number of items on the staff report. Um, uh, um, I'll dive right in. So the first item is, um, you've asked a couple of times about Battle of the Bullards and its status. Um, Jeff Gelsma, who is on our team and also here this evening, he's picking up that project and we'll be doing um, some engagement in and uh, surveying and talking with folks in November. So he'll come to uh, the commission in November to give you an update on that. So you'll have more information then and I, I hope that it's informative for you. Um, the, the next two are a bit of logistics and administrative, just a reminder that your attendance is monitored and, um, by the clerk's office that you cannot miss any more than three meetings. Um, we believe it's within a term. We're going to double check on that, but, um, you could be eligible to have, be removed from your seat if you have too many absences. Another administrative item is the log items. Uh, we've had a couple of questions about how to get things on the log. Um, the commission log, the, the instructions to get things on the commission log are in the actual log item that you have. Um, oh my goodness, I had it open and now somehow I closed that screen. Here we go. Um, so to get things on the log, you know, that at the end of our meetings, we have the question comments um, and other discussion items. That's when you can uh, propose your item for the log. There are four things that you must provide, the item title, the specific question to be answered or the specific request how it fits within the seven specific duties of the commission. And the fourth item is how does it respond to the commission's statement on equity? Uh, we need all of those items then at the next meeting. And so let's say that tonight we recommend something at the December meeting. Um, I'm sorry, I'm skipping a whole month. At the November meeting, it'll be on the log for you to approve. And then at the next meeting is the first time that it'd be eligible to, to be heard. So just to remind folks of that process, it is outlined in the um, log uh, item as part of your agenda. So those are the two administrative things. Uh, the next one is, um, I have good news for me. If you remember a couple of months ago, we took to your commission, um, uh, uh, asked for a recommendation to city council to apply to the state's active transportation grant program. Um, the results were released today, which is very exciting. So we applied for two projects and we were selected for two projects. Uh, a big shout out to our funding and design, uh, why am I forgetting FMPD, funding and project design team. Um, that would be Megan Johnson and Stephanie Saez. They worked on the applications and that's for Franklin Boulevard for the last phase for design. 
face three, woohoo. Um, and then for Envision Broadway, which is a planning document that was led by my team under Leslie Mancibo. So now we're gonna take it to preliminary design. Um, and so that's Envision Broadway in Oak Park. So we're very excited. Um, to have been awarded, we'll get been selected for that effort, and we'll go through the process of working with the state um, for the allocations of that funding. But it's very exciting. That includes both projects are road diets, enhanced um, bicycling features, traffic calming, pedestrian crossings, all the great things that our communities want to see. Uh, so we're pretty excited for that. Um, and then last but not least, I'd like to introduce, we have a new commissioner this evening, Commissioner Hydorn, uh, who was appointed um, uh, by Commissioner Harris, and uh, this is his very first meeting. So I thought we'd take a brief moment for, for the commissioner to introduce himself to the rest of the commission. Commissioner Hydor. Hi everyone, thank you. I'm, I'm extremely excited to be serving on the commission, learning a lot and uh, hopefully contributing a little bit to what we can do to make the city more uh, bikeable and walkable. I guess my background, I I've uh, been in kind of the nonprofit space, mostly working on good government issues for the past several years. But before that, I was at the California Environmental Protection Agency, working on a bunch of things, but especially looking at housing issues. And there was a small nexus with how do we get housing located next to uh, good facilities for active transportation. So I've, I've always been interested in this issue and I also have a personal take on it, which is I used to commute from the Alhambra neighborhood into downtown for work. Uh, with the pandemic, I now work from home, but I still, I now shifted to taking my kids to school. I bought a cargo bike. And so it's given me a, a whole new appreciation of this work from kind of a safety perspective, particularly. How do we make sure that people with parents, parents with kids uh, feel comfortable using our network? And so I kind of approach it from that lens. So really excited to be here and looking forward to hopefully meeting you all in person sometime in the near future. Great, thank you. Um, and uh, Chair, that is my staff report. I'm happy to answer any questions that the commission may have. Wonderful, thank you. Before the commissioners, I'm gonna hand it over to Madam Clerk. Are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? There are currently no members of the public with their hands raised. Okay, thank you. Um, are there commissioners who wish to speak on this item? I see several hands. Not sure what order they came in. I think maybe Commissioner Ward-Waller, um, you popped your hand up quickly, so we'll start with you and then go to Commissioner Heim. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Jennifer. First of all, huge celebration for the funding. That's amazing. Congrats to you and the team, and uh, huge kudos to Megan for all of her work. Um, so exciting to, there were only, there were less than 100 awards statewide. I think it was only like 67 or something. So to get two for Sacramento and I saw it in the county, we also got Stockton Boulevard funded. So that's huge. It's really exciting. Um, so I just want to celebrate that. And um, I also, since you were talking about terms um, and I, I'm happy to take this discussion offline um, just as it pertains to my term, but as an at-large member of the commission, I like don't really know the process for <laughs> when my term is up or when I get like, you know, re-upped on the commission or any of those things. So I'm um, just curious if, if you know, I think, I think maybe Commissioner Carpenter and I are the at-large seats and don't represent a district. So um, anyway, just general question. Happy to take that offline if that's one to discuss with you separately. Um, and also, um, yeah, okay, I'll leave it there. <laughs> 
Okay, great. Thank you, Commissioner Wardwaller. I think what we can do is we can confirm with the clerk's office who manages that and those expectations, and we can report back at the next meeting so folks are clear about their, their seats and how long they hold them. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Jennifer. I, I think that information is also listed on the city's website, if I remember correctly. It has each of our commissioners when we started and then when our term ends. So that I believe it's also there for at-large positions, but appreciate the update um, at next month's meeting. I keep wanting to say January as well. I'm like skipping over November <laughs> like it doesn't exist. Um, uh, but next, uh, Commissioner Hines. I just want to say again, kudos to um, your team because I'm so excited about Franklin Boulevard because I am off Franklin Boulevard. <laughs> so I'm definitely excited to see the changes in this community. And I just wanted to welcome um, new Commissioner Hydron. Is that what, how we say it? I just want to welcome you and say hello. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Hines. Yeah, I second, third, everything that's been said. So exciting. I saw the news this morning that the city was um, awarded the ATP grants. And so always awesome to have awards happening, you know, our own community. So yeah, kudos to all the staff. I know it's a lot of work to put together those applications. So you should be very proud of yourself. Um, and yeah, um, welcome, <laughs> Commissioner Hydorn. Seems like you'll bring a great experience, um, both, both professionally and personally, um, to this commission. So really looking forward to working with you. Okay, uh, the next item is item four, uh, South Sacramento. Um, am I doing the right order? Sorry, just one sec. Okay, I think I am. All right, uh, the next item is item four, South Sacramento Parkway Trail West update. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is. Wonderful, take it away. Okay, I'm gonna share screen. Okay, can you guys see my, my presentation screen? Uh, yes, we can. It's a slightly small because we're seeing you and the PowerPoint, but. Oh, um, let me see. Not if on I can my change. end, maybe on your end. Oh, maybe. It could okay. be I could adjust. Apologies. Nope, not a problem. The joys of learning all this technology. Okay, back to sharing screen. Um, all right. Thank you, Chair uh, Dewar Westbrook and the board members of the Active Traction Transportation Commission for the opportunity for me to present the South Sacramento Parkway Trail West project update. My name is Amber Castle-Keene. I'm an associate civil engineer in the Public Works Department and the project manager for this project. Um, the South Sacramento Trail project was presented to the city slash county bicycle advisory committee in June 2017, which is a while ago, um, but I'm here to provide an update. Um, so I'll start with, okay, sorry, joys of learning Zoom again on, and uh, PowerPoint. I'll start with some of the um, project's background. Um, the purpose of this project is to pave approximately six miles of a class one multi-use trail. Um, the scope is limited to creating trail connections. The city applied for and was awarded a federal grant from the Sacramento area of government in 2014 bicycle and pedestrian funding program of about $800,000. The project was started, um, like I said, 2017 or so, and then it was put on hold during the construction of the Caltrans I-5 corridor enhancement project, which has been in construction since 2019. This project is wrapping up this year in 2022. Both projects had overlapping and conflicting construction areas. 
So as the city, we've picked this project back up and we're moving this trail project towards construction. So one of the main benefits of this project is its location it's serving is connecting the trail network from the southern part of the city. To help orientate your location, um, major nearby street intersection is Freeport Boulevard and Meadowview Road. Specifically, it begins in the residential area of Cavalier Way Elbow. The trail then goes behind the sound wall running parallel to the east side of Interstate 5. It crosses, crosses under Interstate 5 at the Freeport Boulevard State Route 160 crossing, overcrossing. It then runs parallel to Freeport Boulevard, connecting to and ending at the existing Freeport Shores Trail. Um, the connecting trail network is the, going to help close some of the trail gaps and provides connectivity to the rest of the network. This trail will provide an additional crossing underneath the barrier of Interstate 5 between Pocket Meadowville Road and Consumers River Boulevard. The trail will also provide connectivity to the Sacramento River Trail to the west, the Freeport Shores Trail to the south, and the North Delta Shores Trail to the east. There are also several parks that will be connected, um, including the Bill Connellan Sports Complex and LeVar Burton Park. Um, another city project that's headed to construction in the same area is the Del Rio tra um, Trail Project. This project will help provide more connectivity to the trail network also. Del Rio will end um, at the west side of the signalized intersection where the new South Sacramento Trail Project is located. With this connection to the Del Rio Trail, users will have access all the way in to the downtown part of the city. And then this um, South Sacramento Park Trail will also connect um, with future Delta Shores development trails um, that will help provide access to the South and Elk Grove and their trail network. As I stated before, the South Sacramento Trail West project is a 0.6 miles of trail, class one multi-use trail. It will be a 12 foot wide paved trail with two foot graded decomposed channels, granite, bah, decomposed granite shoulders on each side. The trail access at the east entrance um, we'll start at Cavalier Way and be stop controlled for the trail network users as it exits either onto existing sidewalks or the North Delta Shores Trail. The Trail West uh, access on the west entrance is located on Freeport Boulevard at an existing signalized crossing to the Sacramento River Trail. It's also where the city has a driveway access to the Sacramento Water Tower. From the south, the new trail will connect with the Freeport Shores Trail and existing at grade crossing. Um, so that kind of kind of covers some backgrounds and location on the project and the design of the trail. The update part is this project set to go to construction in spring 23. There's about 40 working days on the project, which is about two months. So that should lead to the trail hopefully opening in the summer. Any questions? Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. We have no members of the public with their hands raised. Thank you. Are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a hand from Commissioner Hopped. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Um, thank you very much for the presentation. Very happy to see this happening. Um, what I don't yet understand is, does this provide or is there a proposed to be a connection to Kasumas River Boulevard 
from the trail as it currently exists or as it will exist? Um, so the best place I have to show that, it looks like in the future. So I have the, um, this is a, a, a map from RGIS. So currently we'll head down the trail itself. Um, we'll connect to a trail that ends at the Del Con Sports Complex. But it looks like a proposed trails that are going to happen with the developments within the Delta Shores area will provide a connection to Consumus River Boulevard. And proposed class two bike lanes, I think, are along Freeport Boulevard from um, the, the bike trail map that I've got. Okay, and does that include, is that improvement to Freeport Boulevard all the way to Consumus River? Boulevard? Um, from this map, that's what I'm showing from the bike master plan. Okay, if that's uh, in the works, that is badly needed. <clears throat> Commissioner Hopson, Amber, if you mind if I jump in for a second. So Not Amber okay. manages implementation of projects, but planning and future efforts are from my team, uh, working in collaboration with Amber's group. Um, yeah, so we do have a number of planned shared use paths and planned bikeways as part of the Delta Shores area. However, none of them are in the process of moving forward at this point. Um, the, it's not an active effort at this time. So right now, this is probably the, the biggest one that we're working on in this area, in addition to um, the, the Del Rio Trail. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Jennifer. Uh, Commissioner Brazel. Yes, thank you for the presentation. I've been watching this area very interested in the last several years. Um, and my question is how it's going to connect to the Del Rio sh um, bike trail. I, I believe it's terminating at Meadowview Road, or is there a connection that will bring no. it over? Yeah, um, Del Rio terminates at this intersection. So this um, the slide of the access, the west entrance, I sh I'm showing here at this slide, where the existing North Delta um, Freeport Shores Trail is. Uh, the um, the uh, Del Rio will come in. It probably the tree kind of blocks where it was shows where the tree would um, where Del Rio will come in. Del Rio will come in on um, kind of this north. Uh, let me see if I can get a laser pointer out. I will learn to use all the technology at some point. So I think North um, Del Rio will terminate up here with the rest of the um, where. Uh, I think it's Sac River Trail is also at. Yeah, okay, great, thank you. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, do we have any additional questions from commissioners? Not seeing any. Well, thank you so much, Amber, uh, for the presentation. Really pleased to, to see that the city is able to move forward on closing this gap in the trail system um, in our community. So looking forward to seeing the project be built and maybe a few of us can take a, a little bike ride out there when that's happened for the ribbon cutting. I think it would be really great to celebrate uh, this project. Thank you all for your time. Yeah, thank you. Okay, the next item is item five, speed management programs. Is there a staff presentation? Yes, there is. Wonderful, take it away. Well, hello, uh, Active Transportation Commission. Uh, thank you for having me. 
Uh, my name is Megan Carter. I'm the supervising engineer in, I'm a supervising engineer in the transportation division. I oversee the traffic engineering design and traffic investigation sections. Uh, traffic engineering design focuses on the signing and striking in our streets, traffic safety, things like that. And as you may know, our traffic investigators uh, receive customer uh, concerns and requests about traffic safety. Uh, and we handle them through work orders that um, make minor modifications to the roadway. So today I'm here to present the speed management programs. I'm going to share my screen really quickly. Please let me know if you can see it. Yeah, we can see your presentation. Is it a good size? It is for me, but I, I, I'm i seeing some head nodding. So yeah, I think you're good. Okay. Okay, I can't really see all of you, but okay. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I'm here to present on uh, speed management programs. Um, this was uh, requested by the commission that I come and present on our uh, current procedures and then um, also wanted to take the time to share a little bit about um, some of our past efforts in the city and uh, some ideas and some uh, plans we have for improving our speed management programs in the future. Um, as we all know, speeding is a significant factor to fatal and serious injury collisions. Um, this is a diagram I uh, stole from our Vision Zero uh, action plan and it shows uh, the likelihood of a collision resulting in a fatality, particularly for the pedestrian, if a uh, pedestrian is hit by a vehicle at any of these speeds, um, you can see the drastic increase in the likelihood of fatality between even just 25 and 30 miles per hour, which we often consider 30 miles per hour a slow speed road. Um, so this presentation will provide an overview of the current speed management efforts implemented by the Transportation Division, uh, some of the methods and programs used to reduce speeding and calm traffic in neighborhoods, and introduce upcoming efforts to expand and enhance those methods. Um, just an outline of the uh, topics I'll present today. So on speed limits, um, I'll touch on our current practice on sort of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, uh, what that did to traffic and speeding, um, and then touch on our upcoming efforts. Also talk about our traffic calming tools, um, the history of traffic calming in the city, uh, our current speed limit program, some other treatments that we often implement, um, and talk about uh, sort of my wish list item, which is a traffic calming toolbox that I'm hoping that we will um, be able to dedicate some uh, some staff time and budget to uh, develop uh, in the future. So, um, the city of Sacramento follows, um, so our current practices for setting speed limits. The city of Sacramento follows um, laws and guidance set by the state through the California Vehicle Code and the uh, California Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices, which is a mouthful, so METCD. Um, and we follow these laws so that when speeding tickets are given to drivers, um, they are enforceable uh, in court. 
Uh, we want to support our enforcement arm uh, in any of their efforts to uh, catch speeders and make sure that um, when they go to court, they um, the tickets don't get thrown out. Um, and so the way that we do that is the members of my team um, in the transportation division perform engineering and traffic surveys, which is a very broad term, um, but specifically in this case, um, we call them speed surveys uh, to determine, uh, so we conduct these surveys to de determine the roadway condition and measure the 85th percentile speed of free flow traffic uh, on a segment. So throughout the city, we have over 530 speed zones with established speed limits. Um, in those guidance documents, there is some um, guidelines and criteria for setting speed zones. Uh, for instance, you don't want a speed zone to be less than a quarter mile long. Um, you also don't want it to be excessively long and encompass uh, a corridor that might have uh, different uh, land uses or uh, different number of lanes or things like that. Um, so we break the corridors up into smaller speed zones and then we're able to establish different speed limits along a corridor um, that is generally context sensitive. Um, we update these speed zones um, and the posted speed limits on them on a seven year renewal period. Um, through the, the laws, we can do it on a 10 year time frame. Uh, I think five, seven and 10 are allowed. The city chose seven. Uh, Few decades ago. Um, we have also broken up these 530 speed zones into batches so that staff isn't updating all 550 all at once on a seven-year period. So um, we typically update uh, 40 to 80 each year. Um, and most residential streets meet prima facie criteria of 25 miles per hour. So you, uh, if you're driving through a neighborhood and you don't see a speed limit, um, that is because it's usually a residential street um, and um, it does not need to be posted. Uh, the law says that folks are supposed to drive 25 miles an hour uh, on those streets. Um, prior to the passage of AB 43, which I'll touch on in a little bit, um, there were multiple prima facie limits based on context. So um, if, in, if a zone was not residential but commercial, um, the prima facie speed could actually be up to 55 miles per hour um, without a jurisdiction setting a posted speed limit. Um, but since the passage of that um, assembly bill, there are actually only two prima facie speeds, um, 15 miles per hour, which applies to railway grade crossings, uh, intersections that don't have stop or yield control, so other neighborhood, uh, local neighborhood streets that might not have stop or yield signs, uh, even on the minor lakes. Um, you're supposed to drive 15 miles per hour approaching them uh, on any alley it's 15 miles per hour and then again 25 miles per hour applies to uh, any highway uh, in any business or residential district unless a different speed limit is determined by the local authority um, when approaching or passing a school when there are posted signs for that um, and when passing a senior center or other facility used by senior citizens Again, we also, as a jurisdiction, must post that it's a senior area and drivers would not know that. Um, so with a focus towards reducing speed citywide, uh, wherever legally defensible, uh, staff have recommended to use the options um, provided in the MUTCD for rounding down in all applicable, applicable cases. 
Um, if we can defend it, we will do it. So existing roadway features such as marked uncontrolled crosswalks, narrow or unenhanced bike lanes, uh, and gaps in sidewalk infrastructure where we know pedestrians would be walking in like the shoulder or um, a gap area, um, as well as land use features such as nearby parks, schools, light rail stations, senior facilities, libraries, community centers, residential. Um, anyways, we evaluate all of those um, site conditions to justify being able to round the posted speed limit lower than the 85th percentile. Um, so I'm going to touch a little bit on the like technicalities of this. Um, so the uh, speed survey is conducted in the field at a time when traffic is essentially free flowing. Um, there, it's not during morning rush hour or evening rush hour, um, and you can't uh, measure it close to a stop sign or a traffic control device where drivers would be slowing down. You're supposed to be in an open area where drivers are going at free flow speeds. Um, and again, you measure um, the 85th percentile speed. So that's the speed of drivers, um, of 85% of the drivers measured in that period. Um, and you set it at that speed, um, which assumes that approximately 15% of drivers would be speeding on that road. Um, and so then we have some options. Um, and I'm showing you here that, um, say our 85th percentile speed comes in um, below the like 0.5 mark on a, on a speed limit. Um, we can round down to the nearest five and then the laws allow, allow us to reduce an additional five with justification. Um, if the 85th percentile speed comes in above that halfway mark, we are supposed to round up, um, but with the options given in the guidance, we are allowed to round down, but no further. Um, so in this case, we would round down to 35, but we wouldn't be able to justify rounding down to 30. Um, and the acceptable justifications have to do with residential density uh, and the uh, safety of pedestrians and bicyclists. Okay, so moving on to what's gone on in the uh, COVID pandemic. So uh, as we all probably experienced in 2020 when everybody was sheltering in place and then working from home for a long time, um, speeds everywhere just increased. Um, and we've heard that from our communities. Um, traffic patterns changed, speeds increased, and we've seen lots of bad behavior. Uh, got a little, um, uh, I think this is a CHP helicopter uh, view of donuts. So we've heard from neighborhoods throughout Sacramento uh, that they are experiencing higher speeds in their neighborhoods um, and also bad behavior, illegal behavior, uh, donuts and sideshows and things like that. Uh, and so we were worried that if we conducted speed surveys during this time, we would see excessively high speeds and we would be legally obligated to set those speed limits higher. And so um, the guidance allows us to extend our speed surveys up to that 10 year period. So since seven years is our renewal period, uh, we determined that it was best to extend for an additional three years. So any speed survey that would have expired in the last two years, we've extended it for three years. So we will eventually have to reassess them, um, but we're, we've bought ourselves a little bit of time. 
and to the upcoming efforts. So we're very excited that AB43 and its supplement, AB1938, uh, were passed. Um, so this is assembly bill, a new law um, that gives jurisdictions a little bit more flexibility in setting speed limits. Um, we have uh, set aside a budget of 200,000 in this next fiscal year um, to hire a consultant to help us evaluate how to implement uh, this new law throughout the city um, and to evaluate that, make some recommendations. And then we think that this 200,000 is enough to also implement some changes. Um, so we um, aren't planning to dedicate this all to a consultant contract, but um, to save some of the money to actually um, make new signs and install new signs throughout Sacramento. Um, at least we're hopeful for that. If that's not the case, then we will dedicate uh, additional budget to make that happen. So moving on to the traffic calming tools that we use. Um, so the city of Sacramento has a pretty long history of installing um, speed lumps. Um, we have been installing them since 1980. Uh, over the years, several revisions have been made to the program, including street length criteria, a change from undulations to speed humps, uh, a program name change, uh, the addition of some minimum speed requirements. Um, and then we also um, at one point um, started sort of reaching out to the emergency response uh, and regional transit uh, providers and getting their approval for speed lump locations. Um, and through that effort, we changed, uh, briefly described undulations are two closely spaced sort of sharp speed lumps. Um, they're very abrupt. And if you've ever gone over them, you really have to slow down. Uh, it's sort of damaging to any low, um, low rider type car. Um, speed humps were still solid across the intersection, but smoother. Um, speed lumps have breaks in them for, um, for emergency response vehicles. So fire trucks, um, they are specifically spaced so fire truck wheels can go over them and um, bus, buses can go over them. Um, and then um, we also partnered with, um, the city partnered with the community and established the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program, NTMP. Um, it was adopted by Council in 95 and officially began in 1996 with a lottery, which was neighborhoods um, petitioning to have um, their neighborhood evaluated for traffic calming measures. You may see this throughout the city. There are um, median island chicanes, there are um, half street closures and various things. Um, that program is no longer budgeted, um, no longer funded and hasn't been around since um, 2010. At the time when it was around, it was staffed by five positions. There was a program manager, two project managers and two engineering technicians. Um, there was a lot of community engagement. It was pretty uh, staff intensive. And so moving on to our current speed lump program. So this is this is what we've been uh, implementing. Um, and for the most part, without um, new changes or new criteria since about 2014, that was the last time the speed lump guidelines were approved by council. Um, and so every year we uh, receive uh, requests from community members to evaluate their speed 
the speeding on their street. And uh, a lot of times they request getting speed bumps. Um, what we do, what the traffic investigations team does is evaluate that request for meeting the minimum criteria. Um, and I've got some of those details here. So we have length criteria, depending on the type of street. Uh, we make a special sort of easier to get speed bumps um, for streets that have parks and schools and also streets that might be a bypass street um, where uh, drivers may choose to use that local street in order to bypass some traffic congestion on a larger street that should hold the, the capacity. Um, there should be one lane in each direction, but it's okay for there to be two, a two-way left turn lane. Um, uh, again, we have some ADT and speed requirements. Um, and then we do require that the segment is at least 75% developed with residential frontage um, or that it has a park or a school. So if, if a segment of the street is not fully residential yet, um, but does have a park or school, that would still qualify. Um, and then we circulate those requests through uh, Sacramento Regional Transit and Sacramento Fire Department, make sure they approve them. Um, and then we do an investigation and through that investigation, we do uh, measure the ADT, the average daily uh, traffic volume, um, and also the percent of traffic speeding on that roadway. So we want proof that there is actually a speeding concern um, so that we are efficient with the money that we budget uh, for this program. Um, then the, uh, the approval process for getting a speed bump approved and actually installed, um, the resident uh, requests the evaluation, they meet the minimum criteria. We have them take a petition around to their neighbors um, and get 10 signatures of other neighbors along that street. Um, and it has to be neighbors with addresses along that street. Um, and then we complete the investigation and there's a ranking process. And so based on things like, um, it gets extra points if it has a park or a school, um, uh, it gets a, a certain number of points for the volume of traffic. And there's a few other uh, ranking criteria. Um, and then based on that rank, uh, we send ballots to all the residential properties along that affected street that that sort of rises to the highest rank it, and 25% um, uh, of those ballots must be returned with votes. Of those votes, two thirds must vote yes. And then we take that list to city council for approval. Um, in the last six years, uh, we have uh, invested $1.45 million in this program and uh, installed speed lumps on 70 street segments. Um, in the last five years, the budgeted amount was approximately 150,000. You can see from this table, it fluctuated a little, um, but because of hearing from the community and, and hearing from uh, the council and um, residents, we know that speeding is an issue throughout the city. And so in this year's budget, um, 640,000 was dedicated. That's quadruple what had been dedicated in the past. Um, unfortunately, it's not gonna be as effective as it was in the past because construction costs have also skyrocketed. Um, you can see in 2021, we had to find extra budget uh, to pay for the same typical number um, because uh, construction costs, uh, costs escalated. Um, also in 2021, we had heard from 
several communities where they had existing speed lumps and they uh, called us saying that those speed lumps were no longer effective. We measured them, we made sure they met the city's design criteria um, and there were 11 locations that needed to be rebuilt. So we dedicated um, budget for rebuilding them. Okay, some of the other treatments uh, that we implement, uh, we don't have a program uh, dedicated to this, um, but um, we evaluate them on a case-by-case -case basis and also uh, evaluate them in any of our capital improvement projects. Um, so other traffic calming devices that are identified include traffic circles, curb extensions, pedestrian median islands, and raised elements such as vertical delineators. Um, there, as I said, there's currently no dedicated program with funding allocated for installing these treatments. Um, however, in response to the Vision Zero Action Plan, these are some of the treatments used to address traffic safety issues, specifically on that high injury network. And I say there's no specific budget dedicated to it, but through our transportation budget, we do have safety programs set aside, um, pedestrian crossing enhancement money set aside. Um, and when requests come up for those kind of treatments, we are looking at these kind of traffic calming treatments uh, to implement to achieve both speed management and uh, uh, pedestrian safety or, or other safety um, things. So my last topical slide, um, so currently the city of Sacramento does not have guidance on the identification and implementation of traffic calming devices other than speed lumps. Uh, while Public Works is undertaking an update to the street design standards to be more context sensitive, the transportation division um, would like to take, would like to create a toolbox of traffic calming devices um, with uh, documented and council approved toolbox, we can provide developers and other city staff options for traffic calming treatments um, based on classification, volume, width, land use, and emergency services needs. Um, we think this will allow us to consider traffic calming earlier in the development process of both private development projects and the city capital improvement projects. Um, I did a little Googling and tried to find some other jurisdictions that already have a toolbox. Austin actually had a manual prepared, um, but both Seattle and San Francisco, San Jose, a bunch of others do have at least a website dedicated to traffic calming um, devices, although they didn't have that specificity on, um, at least not that I found uh, quickly, but um, that they could require private developers to implement certain measures based on the type of roads they're building in their new developments. Um, and that is kind of what I would like us to do. Um, so all of this is in an effort to engineer for safer streets. We've got those three E's, uh, education, enforcement, and engineering, and this is that wing of it. Um, so we want to achieve our vision zero action plan goals to reduce KSI collisions by 2027 and it is quickly approaching. Um, so my hope tonight is to get some input from, uh, from you all um, and um, I will, uh, let's say, promise to um, bring the toolbox back to you uh, when we've developed a draft and get more input from you then, but 
um, input now is very welcome. Any questions you have on the presentation, and then give you my contact info. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Megan. That was a very thorough presentation. I'm sure we'll have a lot of comments from commissioners. Um, but before then, uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Yes, thank you, Chair. We currently have two members of the public with their hand raised. Our first speaker is Jeremiah Kay. Hey there. Um, thanks. Thanks, Megan, for that presentation. That was really helpful. I'm a, a resident of District 4, and I'm a bike commuter, and I use my bike mostly for transit. And um, I, I appreciate that you all delayed the speed survey um, out of a concern for pedestrian safety. To be frank, as a bicycle rider in Sacramento, it often feels like the city has just completely abandoned the safety of people who travel without cars. Uh, I know you said that 30 miles an hour was a, a low speed, a slow speed street, but 33 miles an hour is 44 feet a second, and, you know, texting takes three seconds. So every time we're out there riding, it literally does feel quite perilous. When you combine that with the fact that some bike road, bike lanes are painted on the streets that have 30, 35, even 40 miles an hour here in the city, uh, it's just a little ridiculous, especially when you consider most of those streets have on-site parking. Just overall, I urge the commission to tell the city council how inadequate the funding has been for slow streets in this city. I know that there were 22 speed humps installed, which sounds great. You talked about there's 500 plus speed zones, and I'm sure there's thousands of streets, and it's the consequences often death or injury, which is unacceptable. Um, the program is so underfunded that the data about traffic surveys hasn't even been updated on the website since 2020. I recognize that that's probably the lowest priority, as it should be, but I think it's just a sign of how little the city council has put into this program. A program which, when they created Vision Zero, Daryl Steinberg declared was central to what the core of the city government does, and that is clearly not the case, not in terms of priority of budget or resources. So I really thank the presentation today. I urge the, count, the commission to do everything it can to lower street speeds. I've filed a number of 301 requests, and one thing I don't yet have an answer to is why other cities like San Francisco or even Los Angeles can do slow streets programs. Every time I've brought that up on 301, I've been told that it's illegal for kind of the same reasons that Megan talked about in the beginning. They want to make sure traffic enforcement stands up in court. But I find it hard to believe that San Francisco would do something blatantly illegal, like have a slow street program or even street closures. And I know we had them, but they just were removed from us for some unknown reason. Um, regardless, I thank everybody for their active work trying to make Sacramento safe against the bike. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is City of Emeryville Public Works. And that teaches me to not change my Zoom name. <laughs> Good evening, commissioners. Uh, and thank you, Megan. Uh, my name is Matt Anderson, and I'm a resident of District 4. I really want to say thank you for that presentation. It was really informative. and. I appreciate learning what's going on at the city. A few quick questions and comments for you. I'm curious, um, in AB 43, I think there's an opportunity to 
uh, reduce the prima facie uh, speed limits for business districts without doing a speed survey uh, down to 20 miles per hour. And I'm wondering if that's something that staff has considered. And I know uh, staff is probably <laughs> pretty short doing many, many other things, but I'm just hoping that that might be something to look into. Um, also, I left a link to a portion of the um, speed uh, traffic operations website in the public comments and just a little concerning some of the things said there about um, speed signs uh, not reducing speed and not reducing collisions and just wanted, wondering hoping staff can check that out and review it for the accuracy on the on the web page um, and then lastly I uh, while I was reading around on the website I noticed that there are uh, over a thousand requests for traffic investigations uh, to your office every year. And it looks like we're averaging like 13 or so lumps in, in every program per year. And I'm just wondering if that is an effect of um, lumps not being something that is recommended by the program or just not uh, sufficient funding uh, to have these kind of programs uh, move forward. And if so, you know, is that something that we can address as uh, both residents and in the transportation commission so um really want to say thank you again uh, also i've uh, peeked at the austin manual and it is fantastic um not just for engineers but for public facing um the developer just looking at it it makes intuitive sense so really would appreciate anything uh, based on that but thank you all for your time and uh, have a great night thank you for your comments Chair, we have no additional speakers. Great, thank you so much. Um, Megan, would you mind just um, briefly uh, providing a response for the first question that we had from our attendee regarding um, the additional portion of AB 43 um, and the ability to change the speeds. I think it was from 25 to 20. Um, and I can read the whole question if, if that's helpful. I think it was also provided in the comments as well, but I think that would, it would be good um, for folks and other commissioners to hear. So I'll just read it because I was mumbling a bit. Um, but the question specifically is, um, an additional portion of AB 43 unreferenced in the SAC report allows cities to immediately reduce prima facie speeds in certain business districts from 25 miles per hour to 20 miles per hour other cities have expedited implementation of this, such as San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Jose, and others. Um, is there a reason why staff is waiting until 2024 to likely make this change? Sure, I can respond to that. So um, we were waiting for AB 43 to pass and then for the supplemental 1938 um, to clarify direction from AB 43. Um, with it having passed, we are now taking action to evaluate all of its elements and how we could implement them throughout the city. Um, as I mentioned before, we are uh, very supportive of reducing speeds throughout the city in all different contexts, whether that's near schools and parks and residences in business districts that um, have uh, you know, high volume of, of biking and walking and, and other uh, features and then just wherever it's uh, legal and reasonable to reduce the speed. So we haven't completed that evaluation yet. In fact, we haven't even hired the consultant, but it is on our list to do that within the next few months. So um, at that time, we will make sure to 
consider that portion of AB 43. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's really helpful and good for, for all of us to be aware of. Um, we probably are getting the vibe from folks calling in and those on the line. We encourage the city to move as quickly as possible. So I'm glad to hear that that's what you intend to do. Um, okay, I'm gonna pass it over to commissioners for some questions and I see a few hands. Um, sorry, and for some reason they're not coming in in order for me, but I think Commissioner Heim uh, first, then Commissioner um, Heidorn, Commissioner Glenn Rostro, and then Commissioner Wardwaller. Hi, um, just two questions. One, um, <laughs> City Management Academy, we talked about lumps, humps, and um, <laughs> bumps. And so one of the things I wanted to know with these uh, different um, treatments is, are you going into those areas or is it possible to go into those areas that have the old treatment and um, for safety reason when it comes to our first responders going over those um, bumps? And then the second question, I know we go, we go off of data and a lot of my community, a lot of my district does not report um, stuff. And so there are areas, especially where we have the wide streets, where we have individuals doing donuts. I was walking around in communities um, two weekends in a row, two different areas in the wide streets and people are doing donuts um, in those wide streets. And that would be like a perfect place for things like our roundabouts. Is that an option? Have we thought about that? Um, and of course, those are areas that are not gonna be reported. So how can we capture that information? Sure. Um, I think one of the main efforts um, and Jennifer's team uh, is trying to do this um, is making a relationship with those communities so they do feel comfortable reporting and, and having their voices heard as well. Um, so without reporting, um, we cannot, we don't have a way to see everything going on in the city. We um, collision reports um, and receiving collision reports from the police department is uh, a main data tool for us. Um, we are looking at um, more technology uh, to see more of those wider streets and uh, areas throughout the city. Um, we're even considering um, some of these speed feedback signs that um, I don't have my presentation up anymore, but um, that uh, was the last image um, that might collect that data. Um, and so we can evaluate, you know, how many people were speeding on a street that we might have a speed feedback sign on. Um, so trying to get more data is, is a goal for us. Um, but until then, we just don't know what we don't know. Um, and so when somebody does reach out to us about with a request for a traffic circle specifically related to um, folks doing donuts or having uh, sideshows or, or what have you, um, <clears throat> first, we don't want to push the problem to another location. Um, if we spot treat um, certain locations, it may lead to um, those donuts just happening in another location. So again, it doesn't mean we don't wanna do anything about it, but we wanna make sure that it's based on data, based on collisions um, and that kind of thing. And based on hearing those concerns from the community and that the number of concerns um, sort of 
makes it a priority location. Um, and then um, installing speed lumps uh, is something we have established as a program. We have a cycle. We receive those requests throughout the year. We're able to evaluate them, give them ranks so we are using the money efficiently and fairly um, and addressing the streets with the highest need. Um, with our other traffic calming tools, because we don't have a pro program established for those yet, um, there is a lot of staff time and a lot of cost that goes into sort of that spot treatment effect without knowing if that is the location of the highest need. So I don't mean any of that to dismiss the concerns of the community and we wanna hear from everybody we want it, but we still wanna base our use of limited funding on data and make sure it's the most effective. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Hydori. Thanks so much. Um, I had a question about the lumps and a, a question about 8043, so I might just split them up if it's okay. Um, on the lumps, we heard from one of the commenters that I think there was like a thousand requests and they pointed to only uh, 22 requests going to, to fill the lumps. I assume those thousand requests aren't just for lumps though. And so I'm curious how many requests just come in for lumps? How many, what's the volume of requests that you get that you'd like to fill versus what you're able to fill? Is 22, for example, did you meet all the requests that you felt should be met or is there a, a much larger demand that you're able to fit under the current budget? Sure. So I'll just say off the top of my head and in my background, uh, I don't have all the data for you, but I will say that this year, because we dedicated more funding to it, um, rather than doing, so in previous years, our typical implementation, um, to be fair and based on council request, was one location per council district plus parks and schools. So parks and schools could be anywhere in the city. Um, and if the roadway ranked well, then we would do that. Um, and so what we did this year is because of the extra money, we took that ranked list that we had. And uh, so we did 22, I would say off the top of my head, there were probably closer to 40, um, maybe not that high. Uh, and what we did is tried to still be fair, implement um, uh, a specific number per council district. So we validated streets that for the top three in each council district, plus all the parks and schools that were on the list. And then we took all the money that we had left and like um, based on the ranking score, kept going down the list and adding more streets. So um, that kind of answers um, the, the uh other callers question about why we have only implemented, you know, 12 per year. It was based on funding. That's, that's what they cost. And that's what we um, had dedicated to, um, to implementing them with that extra budget. We were able to do a lot more. Um, and then did that answer your full question? Yeah, it, it did. And I, I assume to, is there like a budget number that would complete all the type of traffic calming projects that you guys would want to do? Or is that something where you couldn't even come up with a number until you have a process for measuring all the different types of traffic calming requests that you get in? I think you answered your question. I think we would want to mm -hmm. have a process to yeah. um, evaluate all 
for instance, a traffic circle could cost us 80 grand, um, whereas the implementation of speed lumps along an entire corridor, uh, or not an entire corridor, but a street segment um, could be in the 10 to 20 grand range. Um, and the traffic circle um, needs to have uh, additional civil design um, to make sure that the curb ramps meet, you know, ADA and drainage flow and, and all of those things. So there's a little more cost in, the, in those kind of items. Um, and then um, I think Commissioner Heim asked about going into neighborhoods with old treatments. So another thing we did in the last budget cycle was dedicate a budget to um, repairing traffic. So repairing traffic calming uh, devices out there. So traffic calming maintenance. Um, as we've been implementing our parking protected bikeways and more vertical elements, and those vertical elements keep getting hit by cars, um, as well as our existing traffic calming circles and various devices, they need maintenance. Um, and um, the more we put out there, the more um, the maintenance budget gets hit. Um, and so we wanted to dedicate our funding to do that. So um, to uh, Commissioner Hem's question, I think we will uh, look at evaluating uh, the rest of the city for the old treatments. So those undulations um, and speed humps um, and uh, look at where our regional transit and um, fire department would um, most like us to fix them. Thanks. So I'll, I'll stop there so other commissioners can ask questions, but I may have a question at the end if there's more time. Thanks. If I'm being overly verbose, uh, <laughs> you guys can tell me. No, no, I think this is great. Yeah, you're being very responsive to all of our questions. So yeah, it's, it's helpful and appreciated. Um, okay, next up, Commissioner Buenrostro. Hi, and again, I just want to thank thank you, uh, Megan, for the presentation and you're answering all the questions really well and I found it really insightful, so really appreciate it. Um, I actually want to follow up from, from some of the questions that Commissioner uh, Heidorn had. Um, and, and I guess the question is, what, um, what would it take to create that process to be able to comprehensively evaluate all the measures? Um, is that like a budget issue? Is it a staffing issue? What what, what are the needs uh, that would allow um, the department to be able to do that? I think both, um, both staffing and, um, and budget. So as I mentioned, that neighborhood traffic management program that we had in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, that had five staff members dedicated to it um, in order to implement it correctly, you know, to, to do the community outreach and do the design um, and do the implementation. So um, I think it would take both. And as you all are very aware, we have a lot of priorities and a lot of demands on our resources. And so um, it would need to be identified as a priority. Uh, and then we would figure out how to create a program and, and how much budget needed to be dedicated to it. And the, the other question, and I, I, I mean, I just wanna say that as a commission, I hope that we can prioritize the ability to be able to provide the city with the resources to create this comprehensive way to met, to evaluate different components. Uh, it just seems that having one way to solve speed reduction, which is just lumps, it, it doesn't seem adequate enough for the needs of a diverse city like ours. So I hope that we keep looking at that issue uh, that that um, 
I think is a is is an area of need. Um, I had an, another question about the different investigations, how they're investigated. I know that uh, Commissioner Heim uh, brought up the issue of um, how requests are made. Um, I, I think that's a concern of equity when we just wait for, when we just respond to the requests that are being made, but don't have a process for looking at um, a street, even if there might not be a formal request, but maybe there's data that, that there's, that's available that triggers an investigation by the city. So I'm just wondering if there's a way to look at uh, triggers uh, that would spark an investigation for a street uh, that don't necessarily require a, a, an actual request from from a resident, and I'm wondering if that's something that that the department has looked at, or if that's something that 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 you know you might be able to to look into. Sure, and um, I, I think um, briefly, I think the the work that was done in the Vision Zero process, so. Um, the citywide evaluation of collisions, collision types, um, and identifying a high injury network, um, and then sort of laying out uh, where we have speed-related fatalities and serious injuries on that network. We have a bunch of maps within that action plan that show that. Um, that leads to CIP projects. That leads to like kind of a higher level effort of let's address these systemic problems that we see from a citywide evaluation. So it's that we also, when we do a citywide evaluation, we use that to inform how we apply for grants. So we apply for the um, HSIP grants, which are federal uh, highway safety improvement program grants, and um, and we like there are ways to uh, uh, apply for those grants where you specifically address certain collision types. And so I would say that at this time, that is our way of addressing a citywide issue, making sure that that equity is part of it. You guys know about the transportation priorities plan. So um, that is taking, you know, the citywide list of capital improvements and safety improvements and prioritizing them to be more equitable. Um, I'm certainly open to making our uh, speed bump program more equitable um, and and obviously looking at, uh, at other ways of, of evaluating the city, getting more technology out there that gives us more data where customers don't, have, we don't have to rely on um, folks calling in and telling us that there's an issue in their neighborhood. And the last question is just a more of a data question to see if it's available, but is, is there a way for us to get a, a summary of um, the different lumps um, that, or the different requests that were met in the last fiscal year and 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 where they, were those replaced and also uh, the different requests that might have, but that might have met the criteria that were still not met, uh, just to get a good understanding of, you know, where things happen in the city in the last year or two. Okay, can I clarify really quickly? Do you want a breakdown of all of the traffic investigations that come in through a year and how many of those are speed lump requests and then and how many are other types of requests or specifically for the speed lump requests, how those break down into which ones qualified and which ones didn't? Uh, I was thinking specifically for the speed lump request, like how much, uh, how many of them qualified, how many of them didn't, and also which one, which were the ones that were met, and and where were those placed? 
share. I'll tell you, we don't have that easily trackable, but I do have a team that can probably look into that. Jennifer. Megan, if I may interject, the commission can ask for things, but we, and I hate to be wet blanket, but we're, we don't work at the discretion of the commission. So if it's not work that you're already doing, that's not something that we can provide at this time. Um, so just want to be cognizant of our team and Megan's team's workload um, that is pretty demanding um, and understaffed, actually very understaffed at this point. Um, so um, it's not something that we have right now, Commissioner, but when we do have things like this available, I think we'd be happy to bring them to the commission. Great. And I appreciate that, Jennifer, for, for clarifying that. And, and because we definitely respect the work of, of uh, our city staff and know how, how busy you've been. So we, we appreciate that clarification. Thank you. But definitely, yeah, if that data ever becomes available, we would love to, to see that if it ever becomes available in the future. Wonderful. Thanks for those great questions. Okay, uh, Commissioner Ward-Wallace. Thank you. This is such a great topic, Megan. We're clearly all very engaged. So thank you so much for bringing this forward. And uh, your presentation was super thorough. So, so thank you. Really excited about the traffic calming toolbox. Um, I think that's a really important effort. So glad that that's um, moving forward. You did mention that the city is also updating guidance or standards for traffic calming at the same time, but maybe that's on a longer time frame or not funded yet. Can you just explain that a little bit? And my question um, related to the toolbox is that will just creating the toolbox allow the city to implement more uh, different kinds of traffic calming or do you need to wait for the sort of full standards to be developed before um, you're able to do more implementation of different types of treatments? Sure. So the standards update that I mentioned, let me see if I can go back. I don't remember where I mentioned it. Um, it is, we are doing an update to our street design standards. Um, so we call it the design and procedures manual. Um, it is a document that's used by both staff um, that designs projects, but also staff that um, conditions um, private development projects. And so it covers a lot of other topics uh, other than just traffic calming devices. And I think it barely touches on traffic calming devices. So that is being updated because we want to uh, make our standards um, more bike and pet friendly um, and have them in a, in a status where we can um, require developers to meet the new needs, you know? Um, and so that's a separate effort. Uh, and I don't think the traffic calming toolbox has to wait for that effort. Mm -hmm. um, it can probably be done uh, in the same time frame. And once you have the toolbox in place, if that's ahead of the standards, will that actually enable you to implement more of a variety of traffic calming treatments? Or do you need the standards to be updated as well? Um, I might refer to Jennifer on that one. I will comment briefly. So our speed lump guidelines are council approved. And so those are, you know, we can use those guidelines as, as council approved guidelines to basically say, yes, your street qualifies or no, it doesn't. And this is how we implement it. And this is the process. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way I see it and Jennifer can correct me is that 
we create a similar thing, the traffic calming toolbox with some guidance on how it's implemented. Um, but I am not actually sure on that one. So yeah, I'm happy to take that, Megan. So I think we're doing, talking about two separate things here. Megan's going to be leading the tra new traffic calming toolbox, and we don't know what the outcome of that will be. That might be perhaps an expanded, you know, more than just speed bump program that might have chicanes or other sorts of, you know, fun traffic calming devices. We don't know yet. We're going to go through that process. That work is going to include a lot of civil and vertical elements uh, that are designed. Obviously, we know vertical elements slow drivers down, right? So that'll be that. The street design standards is a separate effort that my team will be kicking off in collaboration with basically every engineer in the city of Sacramento uh, to visit um, how we design our streets, not from more of a civil perspective, from a traffic perspective. How wide are our travel lanes? We don't even have a standard for separated bikeways or buffered bike lanes. And so when a new development comes in, we have to, um, we can't require that they provide these new wonderful bikeway treatments because they're not part of our standards, we can ask. So we wanna do things like update those standards. Um, and also with some other elements like turn wedges and protected intersections and those sorts of things. So they're, they're, um, they're gonna be parallel efforts and we'll see which one finishes first. Maybe Megan and I will race each other to see which one finishes first, <laughs> but they'll also be complementary. Um, so, so they'll work together. And it doesn't mean that we can't implement them before these standards are done with a couple of exceptions. So we can, and we have installed traffic calming uh, throughout the city that are not just speed bumps. We have traffic circles, we have roundabouts, we have raised crosswalks, uh, but this is just gonna give us more tools. Um, there's some things that we can't do um, that maybe go beyond what our street design standards have, such as 10 foot travel lanes. Uh, our minimum width is 11 feet. And so with the update of the street design standards, should we move forward with a, condition for which 10-foot travel lanes are allowable, then we could implement those. So, and we'll, that both projects will come before the commission uh, when we're moving forward on them. And the reason why we haven't moved forward on them is just really staff capacity. We just don't have enough staff to manage all these efforts. Understood. And thank you for all of the, all of that additional information. I guess my, my comment <laughs> then is that I really would support, and I think it sounds like from my fellow commissioners comments as well, we would really love to see the um, number of treatments available to you expanded beyond just the speed lumps and certainly utilized and built into the program. Um, it's just gonna give you more ability to be creative at places that need different kinds of treatments and more at intersections, not just you know mid block um, where, where we're seeing more of the interaction with people crossing the street and you know by people on bicycles crossing the street too so i i would advocate for and really love to see um the program expanded beyond just speed lumps and hopefully your new guidance um all of the guidance that the teams are developing will will help with that um and i also um megan i sorry to pile on on this point but i think given that the commission has really um embraced and adopted you know an equity statement and, and charge for this commission. I think the issues with request-based or complaint-based programs are, are significant when it comes to, you know, how you implement these things equitably across the city. Um, so I do, I do think that needs another look. Um, and, you know, you made the point about how the planning team is doing a lot more outreach in the underserved parts of the city. Um, and I think making sure that part of that outreach is providing those communities an opportunity to, um, you know, give that feedback, request speed lumps or traffic calming treatments 
um, and, and work through that process. It sounds like from how you described it, it's a fairly cumbersome process for the requester. Like not just you make the request, but then you gotta collect signatures from your neighbors. Um, I, I just imagine, you know, the single mom with a couple of kids who's working two jobs is not gonna have time to do all that work, even if her kids are playing in that street. So, you know, that is a pretty big burden to put on communities that don't have the time to invest in engaging with the city. Um, so just uh, if there's anything that can be done to update the process and make it more accessible um, and just do that outreach too in, in the um, environmental justice communities, I think that would be great. Um, oh, and I, I also were thinking as you were talking at the beginning, um, I regret that our fellow commissioner uh, Carpenter was not here tonight, <laughs> given her uh, role and expertise and involvement in uh, those state policies. Um, I would recommend uh, consulting with her if you have a chance to. I know you're going to be hiring consultants, but um, Rachel is certainly super expert in all the speed, uh, speed management work. So um, just want to make a plug for her. But thank you, Megan. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Wardwaller. Lots of fantastic comments. And I, I second your recommendation for Megan to talk with Rachel, or sorry, uh, Commissioner Carpenter. Um, so yeah, I think she could bring a lot of value to the work that you're going to be working on. Okay, um, next up is Vice Chair Pollins. Thank you, uh, Chair Bill Westbrook. Thank you, Megan, for great presentations. Uh, my question, and, and thank you, uh, Commissioner Ward-Waller, for talking about equity, which is going to be my question, is uh, you mentioned that trying to, you know, based on budget and availability and staffing and all of that, which is, you know, obviously going to always come first, but, uh, trying to dole out maybe one request per district. I know some districts have a higher level of need looking at it from an equity lens point. Um, and you mentioned that uh, part of that direction comes from city council. So would it be possible to go back to city council and say, look, if your district is doesn't have a high level of underserved need, um, maybe we give an extra one that is underserved. I'd just like to hear you. Sure. I'll note that I don't think, um, without rereading our guidelines in more specific detail to that point, um, I don't think it's a policy. I think it's just been a practice. Um, and so we always need council to approve our list of speed bumps when we choose to uh, implement the project. So we uh, seek support from every council member to, um, to approve the, the council items. So um, I, like I said, it's not a policy, but it has been a practice and we have, um, in the mindset of providing uh, speed management throughout the city uh, in the past focused on one per district, but um, definitely understanding the needs of certain neighborhoods uh, over others uh, is something we wanna look into. Yeah, and 
it's good to know that it's kind of practice or a norm. And maybe, you know, as, as we've experienced at the federal level, uh, that just depending on norms doesn't always affect us. Some things need to be put into policy or codified. So um, yeah, I, my comment would then be to uh, pursue a specific policy, uh, especially as it relates to district that applies the equity. Thank you, Vice Chair Collins. I think if we're gonna do that, we might have to write a letter to, uh, I don't know, I'm looking for Jennifer now to make sure I'm right, but um, I thought we would potentially have to actually write a recommendation um, to council if we wanna you know, encourage um, that a policy is put in place. And if we want to write a letter, we have to create a subcommittee. Um, so um, I don't know if now is the appropriate time. Is that right, Jennifer, or am I, or am I wrong? Can we just say well, there are new regulations regarding subcommittees. Okay. So you can't form subcommittees anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if, if you want to write a letter at the end of the, well, well if, if Commission wants to write a letter to council, what you would need to do is request that it be on the log, allow it to the November log, and then at the January meeting, you can have it as a discussion item to create that letter. And we would need to set aside enough time for a full Brown Act compliant discussion of creation of that letter. Um, um, however, I'm just gonna give a, a, some, a recommendation is that Megan's gonna be developing a, a new traffic calming toolbox for which the outcome might address the concerns and the needs of the commission. And so you might you might want to think about whether or not you wait until Megan has that rec those recommendations and comes before the commission for those actions moving forward. Wonderful. Thank you for navigating us through this, all these changes. Um, Commissioner Pollins, are you okay with waiting uh, till we have, um, you know, that work come forward to us, or are you? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Thank you, Jennifer. And yeah, um, yeah I think that's a good recommendation. You know, waiting for the draft toolbox, then ask for active transfer. Included or considered. Uh, um, uh, Vice Chair Pollins, your audio goes in and out. I don't, I'm not sure if it's just for me um, or for others, but I couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> Basically, I agree. Yeah, I think the toolbox uh, draft uh, submittal from mm -hmm. Megan will be a good time to uh, make sure that we ask about equity relates to which districts get attention. Okay. Wonderful, thank you, thank you. Sorry, I don't. I think maybe I'm having some tech issues on my end, but yeah, really appreciate your comment. Um, I'm looking at the clock now. I, I had a page full of questions for you, Megan, and as you know, other commissioners have been adding. They've all been since addressed. So um, I just want to thank you again so much uh, for coming to speak with us today. I'm really excited 
um, about the work that's happening in your program um, to, to move forward on, on traffic calming. Um, I have several traffic calming features uh, within my own neighborhood um, and the effectiveness has been so 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 I think um, you know working more closely with you to figure out how we can um, you know be observing those features once they've been placed in the neighborhood and making sure that they are maintained um, is, is going to be really important. Um, I also just wanted to add I'm, I'm aware of um, a good amount of work around traffic calming and contextual guidance being developed at, um, by the state and so I'd love to share that work with you all. Um, prior to you going out um, and seeking consultant services if there's you know any information there um, that could be useful for your work um, and there's actually a um, city of Sacramento staff person who is helping uh, Caltrans develop contextual guidance um, through our California walk and bike technical advisory committee so glad that the city is um, you know a little bit aware already of what's um, being developed um, but again, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, look forward to future presentations. Thank you all. Thanks for all the questions too. Yeah, thanks. All right, everyone. So there's gonna be just a, a slight adjustment with the, uh, this evening's agenda. We're gonna move uh, to item seven and then uh, go back to item six. Um, so we'll start with item seven, the Northgate Boulevard Transportation Plan Public Draft concept review. Uh, is there a staff presentation? Yes, that's me. I'm getting set up. Thank you. Wonderful. One second. No, you're all good. Okay, I think we're set up now. Can you see my presentation? We can. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, one moment here. Okay. Hello, commissioners. I know most of you, but there's a new face in the room. I am Leslie Mansebo. I'm a transportation planner in the Department of Public Works. Thank you for having me back. I will be presenting tonight on both Northgate and Freeport transportation plans. And thank you, Chair, for allowing me to start with the Northgate project. Northgate project is about a week ahead of the Freeport project right now, so I thought it made sense to go in um, sort of order uh, like this. So, uh, one moment here, let me get my ducks in a row, and let's get going. This is a reminder of the project area. You've all seen this project a couple times before, but um, it does run from I-80 to Del Paso Boulevard. Also, a reminder here is that all of the slides for both of these presentations will be oriented with north on the right. Um, we kicked off this project, oops, we kicked off this project a little over a year ago, and we've studied existing conditions, we've developed preliminary design concepts, and now we are presenting a draft concept to the community. We have engaged with the community throughout the project and incorporated feedback. We've gotten some really good feedback in each phase from them and from you. We've presented to you in each phase as well. This project is grant funded and we're on a really tight timeline. So we're pushing ahead real quick right now to get a draft available around the new year, a public draft of the whole report. 
um, when we applied for the grant funding a couple years ago for these projects, safety was and still is a top priority for the city. Um, these projects, Northgate and Seaport both, were chosen because they are on the high injury network. And the Vision Zero Action Plan also identifies commercial corridors like these with a lot of sort of those um, like old strip mall type developments as a top priority where we see a disproportionate number of serious crashes. Um, we are also focused on mobility for all roadway users. Uh, sometimes these are considered active transportation plans, but we're also concerned about um, people in crashes, vehicles as well. Um, and uh, we really want to maintain the community identity. Uh, both of these are really rich communities surrounding these two corridors. So that's a priority for us as well to honor that. Um, we're focused on, well, so to do that uh, community, to, to honor that community identity, we're really focused on robust and equitable community engagement. Um, we'll also build upon previous plans, and that includes plans for these specific areas and corridors, but also our citywide plans like the Vision Zero Action Plan. Um, so as we design, as we develop, I wanted to make this note because I think actually Chair Joy Westbrook, you mentioned this in a previous meeting. Um, as we develop these final designs, we're really trying to find locations where are features of the plans that we can implement in short term or as demonstration projects. We haven't done so yet, but I would love your feedback if you see any possibilities in the presentation tonight. So I'll run through this pretty quickly because you've already seen most of this information about the robust phases of engagement. But just for a quick recap, we attended community events, um, uh, we held workshops and we did some online engagement back in October 2021 to identify community needs and values. And then in April and May of this year, we vetted some initial design ideas with the community. We really got robust feedback for both corridors. This is focused on Northgate specifically though these slides. So now I will get into the meat of the presentation, starting with some high-level recommendations, and then we'll get into a little more detail. And I am conscious of the time, so I'm interrupt me if I'm talking too fast. <laughs> um, the community of the community vision that developed for Northgate really um, is pretty consistent with what we had in mind when we applied for the grant funding. So uh, this includes safety, mobility, access to transit celebrating community identity, but we also heard a lot about economic development. That's outside of our scope of work specifically, but we're focused on improving safe and comfortable access to all the businesses along the boulevard. And we had an opportunity to meet business owners and learn about their um, transportation-related challenges. And so I think there is a nexus here, but again, we won't be making specific economic development um, recommendations in this report. Sorry, oh, my computer's a little slow, I apologize. There's a little lag here. So these are the signals along Northgate Boulevard from today. And these are the ones that are being built right, oops, darn it. These are the ones that are being built right now. Um, like literally right now, construction is happening on these three signals. One of the locations here at Hagen Ave, that is an existing signal location, 
but that signal is being completely rebuilt. So we're including it in this list of new signals. It'll have all the, the new tech involved and improvements there to the intersection. And then these are um, the blue dots here are the locations where we're proposing new pedestrian signals. So these locations were identified based on community feedback, but we also considered land use and providing somewhat regular spacing. We also considered access to trails. There are trails on either side of Northgate Boulevard that are really popular to use. And we've heard that Northgate is a barrier to um, sort of the connectivity between the trails. So um, you'll see a long gap here though, between, or relatively long gap, I guess, here um, between Tanaya and Rio Tierra. And that's because the west side of the street in that segment is just like a fence behind homes. So there just wasn't a lot of um, desire lines there for crossings. So we thought about it, but decided that we would focus our efforts really on access to destinations more so than that even spacing. So, okay, there we go. Um, this is just a high level overview of the new and improved crosswalks and improved transit stops. And uh, we'll get into greater detail about these locations in subsequent slides, but I think this just shows like a snippet of like how much we're doing, right? And how many transit stops there are, how many new crossings. And I think this is just impactful to show that sort of scale of this project. So now we'll delve into a little more detail, but right now I wanna remind you for both of these projects, um, these are really high level. Um, these, the, the whole plan will just be a plan. So it'll be planning level designs. Pardon me, I'm sorry. I'm a little sniffly today. Um, these will be planning level uh, designs, even in the final plan, but we still have a lot of iteration to go before we get there. So that's why we're discussing tonight. So they won't be in super great detail, that's why we're asking for your feedback. And we will start with the, um, so we chopped this corridor up into three segments, mostly. It's kind of four segments, really. We'll get there. And we'll start with the north segment. So north of San Juan, we see a lot of commercial development on either side of Northgate. Um, two lanes in each direction with a left turn lane. Um, many properties have landscaping with trees adjacent to the sidewalk, so that's great. And this segment does have an ADT of over 30,000. So this was not, we segmented this piece out because it's not a candidate for a lane reduction slash road diet. I don't know what terminology we're most comfortable with here. Um, you're all pretty savvy though. Um, uh, I think something else to note about this section is something we heard from the community is that that center left turn lane is often used to pass or make a U-turn or other bad behavior to get into some of these big commercial properties. And so um, that informs some of our decisions here. Okay. Oops, 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 oops. Here's a little, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. So here's a little um, snippet of the recommendations. Ooh, sorry, I skipped a slide. Here we go. High level recommendations are consistent with overall vision, right? They include one new crossing in this segment. That's the Ozark Circle. We'll go over that next. And um, really that is intended to connect residents um, between the residential properties on the east side of Northgate to Foods Co., which is a huge um, grocery store on the west side of Northgate. Um, other than that, you'll see also um, separated bikeways here. 
because even though we're not doing a road diet, this is a relatively wide section of North Cape, so we were able to fit in separation there. And here is just an overview here. I'm highlighting this section where the new crossing is proposed. Again, this is to access the um, large shopping center there. On the bottom part of your screen, which is the east side of Northgate, there is um, a lot of lower income housing. And so a lot of people who are um, uh, don't have access to vehicles and um, do need to access the um, shopping center with active transportation. Um, also, we are proposing, you'll see here, medians to uh, address that sort of um, behavior in the center left turn lane that we heard a lot of concerns about. We'll move down to the middle segment now. This is the biggest and most complex segment. Um, so this is south of San Juan all the way down to Garden Highway. It's pretty big. Um, there's a mix here of commercial and residential development. And I would like to note that this section also includes Smythe Academy that faces Northgate. It's really, it's an elementary school that really um, directly faces this busy roadway. And so that's a big feature of this project. Um, the, let's see here, let's move on to the next slide. Okay, the most unique feature, I think the most significant feature of this segment is the lane reduction. And so um, we'll talk through some key features as we go through these slides, but this is just a big overview. Uh, okay, all right. So this is the first segment that I wanted to highlight. The signal atomic, atomic, did I say that weird? Okay, that exists um, now. And the new signal is intended, the new signal down the way, or up the way, I'm sorry, at Tanaya, is intended to connect the neighborhood on the west side um, to the market on the east side of Northgate. Another thing that may be hard to read here, but I'll note about the entire, actually both projects, is we won't be recommending reconstruction of all of the sidewalks because that's really cost prohibitive. But we have identified some locations where there are um, like rolled curbs, especially on Northgate, that um, we are recommending rebuilding. And so you'll see there on Tanaya, that's one of the locations where we're recommending that. So another, another new PED signal that we're recommending is at Bridgeford. Um, I'll also note here that we are proposing separated bikeways wherever they are feasible. And we'll get into a location in a subsequent slide where they're not feasible. Um, but with the road diet, we were really able to widen these separated bikeways to up to 12 feet in many locations. So it's a really nice wide separated facility. Um, another new PED signal here at Wilson. This provides access to Smythe Academy that I mentioned before. So the school is sort of in the upper right part of the screen. And so there is a big intersection at Hagen, but with the road diet and more slowly moving vehicles, a um, less of a distance for kids to cross, we thought this was a great location for a PED signal to enhance access to the school. And moving down here, the segment around El Camino is a little more complex. So we worked with our team here at the city and our consultant team and found that the uh, vehicle volumes and the turning movements in particular at El Camino require um, some additional lanes. So it's not a full road diet here at the, the, at the intersection specifically. There's also a transit stop here. It's pretty complex. 
So we can't fit the 12 foot separated bikeway that's consistent with a lot of the rest of the corridor. So what we're proposing now is to um, have a grade separated um, bikeway here so that we still provide comfortable access to the uh, to get through El Camino, but without um, needing that width that is required for the separated bikeway. So this concept is still, this is one of the ones that we're still iterating on, but we really wanna hear what the community and what you all have to say about it. I also wanna highlight the new Ped signal at Cleveland. This is, I think, the number one location that we heard from the community about a need for a Ped crossing. So even while we were out there on our walk audit that we did last year, we saw people running across the street here. So this, I think, is going to be a well-used crossing. There's commercial on both sides. And um, this is just like sort of the, really what has the feel of sort of like the main street area on, on Northgate here. Um, so let's see here. The Northfield crossing is also really important. So this is also a new ped signal at Northfield. This is uh, really important because there's a huge mutual housing development just up Northfield from here. And there's a bunch of planned um, multifamily housing along Northfield. And so um, not only did we hear that there's a desire to cross here to access La Superior Market um, on one side of the street, on the opposite side is the housing, but we, um, we expect um, additional demand by the time this is built. So... As we get to the south section, um, we, we segmented, this is sort of that, that mini segment that I referenced before, and uh, it's only about 500 feet, and so it's just a tiny little segment, but, um, well, I'll cover this separately here, because this is where we are proposing to uh, shift the bikeway to a two-way cycle track on the west side of Northgate. We heard that Northgate is a barrier to the connectivity of the um, paths in the area. Uh, there's Nino's Parkway, American River Parkway in particular, that is a very important connection. And um, really in the walk audit, it became clear that people were leaving the American River Parkway and then riding on the wrong side of the street up Northgate to get uh, to the west side of the street to access Nino's Parkway. And we even saw it when we were out there in our walk audit, we heard it from the community. And so we know that this is a really important connection. And so what we are recommending is to transition over to the cycle track at Garden Highway with a protected intersection. Um, so that'll facilitate the, um, the crossing between the um, bike facilities on both sides to the one side only cycle track. Um, and then at Arnold Garden, this was a really difficult intersection that we really analyzed heavily and it will require a two-stage turn for people turning um, from Arden Garden onto the two-way cycle track. I know that's not always ideal, but we were able to find space on the west side of that intersection to add protection there to help facilitate that and make that really the desired movement and encourage that sort of uh, uh, behavior that we want to see. So now as we move down um, to the lowest segment of um, farthest south segment of Northgate. It's really unique, right? It's really different than the rest of the corridor because um, there's no curb gutter sidewalk today. There's only one driveway in this whole segment. And um, so, but it's still an important segment for that bike connectivity that we were talking about, right? So like this is important really if we wanna connect to um, closer to 
um, 160. I'm sorry, I'm spacing on what that bridge is called that gets across um, the river. But this is a, really an important connection to um, for, for the path connectivity. So we're proposing a um, sidewalk on the west side of Northgate only. We thought we could really maximize, maximize the public right-of-way by only providing the sidewalk on the, on the west side um, because that's where the only driveway is, right? There's not a lot of there there on the other side of the street. And so we were able to shift everything in a way that we could really have a nice wide sidewalk and the two-way cycle track on the west side here. I heard from the community in a previous iteration of this that they're really excited that this will give them access down to the river and Camp Pollock. Um, and they've started doing events there at Camp Pollock and the community really feels like even though that's a mile away from a lot of them or less, they don't feel like they can access it without driving all the way down there. So now I hope this will really provide some access to that river access and that really good community amenity. Um, I put this layout in here just to be consistent, but there's not really a lot to see here. So this is just showing that there's the way we shifted to um, have space for those facilities. So next steps, um, we, as I mentioned, we've already started community engagement for Northgate. We had a really good virtual meeting on Monday of this week. Great feedback. This community is really savvy. They know how to, um, to, to state what they need and really give us good um, actionable feedback, which I appreciate. And then we are doing an in-person workshop at Garden Valley Elementary this Saturday. So please help spread the word about that. I'm excited to get out there. I'm feeling a little rusty about in-person workshops. And so, um, but I, I really, um, this community has been really supportive. So we're really excited to do that. They actually, the two big community associations in this area were the ones that recommended that we do a Saturday workshop. And so um, this was really community-based that we would do this kind of workshop. And they really wanted to highlight Garden Valley Elementary. Um, because um, there is there are tons of students that cross Northgate to access that school. A lot of students walk to school there. Um, and as I mentioned, we're gonna then take all this feedback, refine design concepts, and hopefully have a plan to show you in the new year. And I know I rushed through that a bit, but I'm happy to answer questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much as always. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. We currently have no members of the public with their hands raised. Okay, thank you. Um, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? Everyone must be tired. Um, I'll add also that we are going to be posting this presentation, not this exact presentation, but similar one that we gave to the community on the website, hopefully tomorrow. And we will be notifying the entire email list when we do that. So hopefully you all have joined our Northgate email list. Well, thanks for that plug. Okay, it looks like we do have a hand from uh, Commissioner Wardenwaller. <laughs> I, I just wanted chime in and say like fantastic work um, on this plan. It's come a long way since the last time we heard from you. And um, I mean, it's just really clear from everything you shared that you're the engagement with the community and, you know, really understanding the needs of the community. Um, uh, you've just really gone above and beyond. So I want to appreciate that. And I 
I think I asked this the last time you presented about Northgate, but the, um, you know, the, the sort of freeway connection at the North End, um, you know, and I know that wasn't part of the plan, but have you been hearing feedback about issues sort of like just beyond the extent of this plan through the community engagement? Honestly, we really haven't. Um, okay. It's not in the scope of this plan, but we know how these things move forward to implementation. And I think with all the development that's happening up there at the very far north end, it, it may expand the scope of this project as it moves yeah. from here to implementation. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Hahn. I was gonna say, great job, Leslie. Um, I love the attention that's getting done to with Smythe because that being right on Northgate, there's a lot of traffic that happens over there. And then I was just gonna tell you, Potomac, like the housewives. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All righty. Awesome. Um, Vice Chair Pollins. Uh, Leslie, great presentation as always. Um, would like to learn you back to this URL for the Northgate Boulevard project. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Northgate well, NorthgateBLVD.com. Thank you. <laughs> Awesome. Is there any additional commissioner comments? I think you said additional. <laughs> additional. <laughs> any additional. There we go. It's getting late. I'm just <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, um, Leslie. I know we have one other presentation from you this evening. Really just appreciate you coming and giving us an update on the project. I feel like we peppered you with a lot of questions last time and it seems like you've um, addressed a lot of those and really just appreciate getting an update on you know, the amount of community engagement that's been done um, on this project in particular. I'm curious um, from your perspective, if there's anyone you're, you're not hearing from that you would love to be more plugged into this project or you do feel like you have a representative sample um, at you know your different public meetings and such? That's a great question. This community is pretty well organized and there's a lot of resources. We went to a lot of community events, really fun events. I've sort of gotten a little crush on this community, to be honest. Um, they, um, and the schools have been really responsive. The school district has had reps. Um, they've been really amenable to like hearing even our feedback about their driveway configure or their um, sort of uh, ingress egress configuration at Smythe. And so we've had a really, really robust engagement on Northgate. As always, we want to reach out to folks who don't typically get involved with their neighborhood associations. We always try to catch them at events and stuff and have encouraged people to share with their neighbors. I can't think of a big segment. One thing actually to note is that the um, businesses along Northgate are not organized in any kind of like business district. They've been working on it for years and the council office has been working on that. And so, um, Rather than communicating with them as one sort of group, um, we've, we've really had to do a lot of door-to-door -door organizing with them, but they've still been really responsive and we've heard a lot of good feedback from them. 
That's great. Yeah, probably a, a little bit additional um, outreach needed there if there's not kind of one concise business door. But yeah, <laughs> going out there and doing that that door to door um, engagement really has given us a chance to experience the boulevard. Yeah. So it's been it's been really a good um, experience. Whereas sometimes it's a little easier to reach a lot of business owners. This was still, I think, a worthy effort. Wonderful. No, that's great to hear. Um, I did have a question. Uh, the the section where you'll be adding or planning um, to to put sidewalks next to Camp Pollock. Um, I've driven on that corridor um, in the evening, and it is very dark. Um, is there a discussion within the plan around you know needed lighting? Oh, and now I've gone dark. Yep. Um. <laughs> that is such a great question, Jared or Westbrook. We um, we heard that a lot from the community as well, and we will include recommendations for lighting in our plan. Okay. Um, they may not be implemented at the same time as like the way that funding works for lighting is a little bit different, and the maintenance concerns. We'll definitely include them as a recommendation, but they will um, the implementation may take longer. Um, or it may be able to be accelerated. It'll definitely be in the plan and we will cost estimate that accordingly. Wonderful, thank you so much. That's really helpful. Um, I guess the last thing, um, with all these different projects that you're working on, um, kind of seems like we have like a different project website for each of the different plans. Is there a consolidated place where residents can go to find out when these, um, you know, different, meetings are taking place um, just in general. It seems like, uh, you know, the planning team is doing quite a lot and I'm sure there's other uh, folks in public works doing events, but I'm not aware of like a consolidated place. Yeah, so there's a couple resources. There is a landing page and Jennifer, you might know the URL off the top of your head, but there is our, our transportation planning division does yes. have a page that lists all of our projects. Yeah. Um, we have an active, sorry, excuse me. We have an mm -hmm. active transportation listserv as well, where we um, notice out a lot of these events. Um, there's also a community events page. And again, Jennifer, yeah, um, I don't know exactly where to find that off the top of my head, but we've been really diligent on our team about posting all of our engagement events on that community calendar. I think it's called the city community calendar. Got it. Okay. I will check out. I'll, I'll look out for that. <laughs> Cityofsacramento.org slash online dash services slash calendar. And that is for the entire city of Sacramento for any public engagement events that we are conducting, whether it be utilities, community development, public works. It's all right there. Wonderful. Thank you, Jennifer. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't Google while talking. <laughs> it's a lot to do. Well, thank you again so much. And thank you, Jennifer, for um, highlighting that website. I was not aware of it. Um, okay. So now let me get to I'll the right. sharing. Okay. Yeah, we're going to move on. Um, the next item is item six, Report Boulevard Transportation Plan Public Draft Concept Review. Uh, is there a staff presentation? Indeed. Wonderful. Take it away. Thanks. Okay. Well, now we're moving to Freeport. I think in the interest of time, and uh, <laughs> I'll just skip some of the uh, um, formalities here at the beginning because y'all know me. Um, and this is really, Freeport is really a sister project to Northgate. So it's under the same grant umbrella. So these things have been moving, these things, I'm so sorry, these plans, 
I'm getting tired as well, so forgive me. These plans are moving forward at the same um, same timeline. We're doing engagement pretty um, pretty much in chunks, and we have the same project team. So formerly Drew Hart was the project manager for this, but since we had been co-managing this sort of umbrella project the whole time, I was able to um, jump in and take over for him. So I think this is the first time you're hearing from me about Freeport. So I'll jump right in. Uh, the scope extends from Sutterville to Blair, and again, the um, we're going to look at, this one's even a little more complicated because it's sort of uh, northwest is going to be on the right side of your screen throughout the, throughout the presentation. Again, we're on the same project schedule, so we're expecting a draft plan around the new year. Again, when we, um, oh, I'm sorry, here, let me, here we go. Um, when we applied for this grant funding, we were really focused on the same project goals. These are really um, consistent, you know, citywide goals for all of the work we do. And um, we did robust engagement in October of 2021, consistent with Northgate. Again, a great community, um, a lot of engagement here. They've even organized a, a, like a subset of the Neighborhood Association to focus on traffic safety. So um, there's really a lot of um, excitement around this project. And then again, we did uh, in spring 2022, we came out with some ideas. And actually, I'm excited to show one of the biggest ideas here came out of that engagement and really was sort of a community um, community-led idea, concept, that we really ran with. So we'll dig right in. Um, so one thing I do want to note is that while these corridors have some similarities, that's why we clumped them together in this effort, they're really unique communities, right? They both really engage, but they have their own community identity. So we really wanted to make sure that we weren't trying to treat these corridors the same, right? So um, we did hear a lot of the same focus as Northgate here on Freeport about safety and mobility, but also the community was really asking us to look at opportunities for shade and landscaping. And we heard a lot of concerns about traffic congestion that were sort of unique, whereas on Northgate, there was really um, uh, not those same, I, well, there were some concerns about that, but not, not, not as heavy in the beginning of the project. So um, these will look very familiar, but these are, oops, these are the existing signals on Freeport, there we go. And then this signal here is going to be added hopefully next year, but right now we're finding that materials are still arriving to us slowly and projects are getting more expensive. So I'd say within the next couple years, that signal will probably go in. And now, these are our um, proposed pedestrian signals. Similarly to Northgate, we are basing these on community need destinations and providing sort of regular crossings for people to um, traverse uh, Freeport. And um, this section I think is really impactful because even more so than Northgate, we see a lot going on here that shows just how many improved and new crossings and improved transit stops we're proposing here on Freeport. And now we'll get into the details. So uh, we only split this up into two segments. Uh, we'll start in the north uh, with the segment that's sort of between the two legs of Sutterville adjacent to Land Park. Um, this, so this is just a, a real brief overview of this segment. 
Um, it's adjacent to the park again. And so that's on one side of the street and then it's commercial on the other side. Um, I did want to note that the section is four lanes with a bikeway. Unfortunately, this is around 30,080 T. So the whole length of Freeport is around 30,080 T. And so not a candidate for a road diet anywhere along Freeport. So that gave us fewer tools, but I'm really excited about some of the concepts that we came up with. I didn't think this exhibit really gave a true view of this particular intersection on the north leg of Sutterville. Um, I know most of you have probably traveled through here. Um, and what, uh, what we heard from the community and the crash history and our own experiences is that this is a real burial barrier for people traveling um, to these really important destinations around here, right? Grand Park, City College, and like popular retail destinations. So um, we really wanted to put a special focus on this intersection and this segment of Freeport. It's a little different, right, than the rest of Freeport. So um, here, even without the road diet, we were able to propose removing parking to be able to fit in a separated bikeway. I think this segment is really critical for that separated bikeway for those land uses that I was talking about before. This rendering makes it look like there is going to be a concrete um, sidewalk here. Um, but we're working with parks to talk through that. We've heard some feedback from the community that they want that to be concrete, but right now it's DG. And um, so I'm working with parks to discuss what our options there are, but I don't want to make any promises that that will become concrete because it's really a consistent path around the park that's in that decomposed trail. And so let's just dive in here. Um, we vetted so many options for this northern intersection of Sutterville and Freeport. And we, this is the one that I was alluding to that this was really something that came from the community. They asked, is a roundabout feasible? And we said, two lane roundabouts. Um, we aren't really experienced in designing those at the city. They, they take up a lot of space, but we found here that we have a lot of space. And so um, we started looking into it again. This is a really high level design at this point, but we're really focused in this plan on ensuring that people biking and walking can cross safely and comfortably. We're removing those slip lanes where we see a lot of the crashes happening and causing a lot of that discomfort. Um, we'll also reduce the crossing distance because in that, in existing conditions, you have to cross so many legs of Sutterville. And um, we know that the roundabout will also help calm traffic in general. And I, as I mentioned, I've been working with parks really closely and they are really excited as this for this as a potential gateway feature, really, um, to the park and to this neighborhood. So I'm sure there'll be questions about that. But as we walk down the boulevard, um, mo most of Freeport is commercial. There are a few homes um, that are adjacent to the boulevard. And then also there's that long stretch in the southern end where it's just the airport on the east side of Freeport. Um, so for the majority of this segment, um, there's no on-street parking or we're comfortable removing some on-street parking to provide a buffered bikeway. Um, you'll see here that it says separated slash buffered because we're having trouble finding locations where we have enough space to fully separate these bikeways. And our minimum at the city is that we have 10 foot clearance in those separated bikeways. And uh, we're almost there. We can get to about nine. So what, we, what we're doing in this plan is we're going to annotate it that um, for now, we're recommending buffered bikeways to be implemented in the near term. But in the future, if the city design standard changes, 
we can put that vertical separation in and this plan does not preclude doing so. Um, so this exhibit does show that separation, but that will only be where it's feasible, where we have enough width for um, the 10 plus foot by 10. Um, this is sort of the, the, the other little segment within the segment that um, where we can't remove parking. Um, we did a extensive analysis and community engagement, and it revealed that there's really high parking demand in a, a little segment in there on Cave Court. One of our objectives is to support community values and economic development. These businesses often only have about two parking spaces in a parking lot for them. And so we really wanted to honor their needs and um, leave the on-street parking for this small segment, um, which means that we will just have a um, bike lane with a small buffer in this segment. That buffer, again, something we're gonna talk to the community about is whether they prefer it on the um, travel lane side or the parking lane side, but what I think is usually the case in my experience with other planning projects is the um, travel lane side is more desirable because we're keeping this as a two-lane roadway. Uh, let's move on down. So I'll highlight just a couple of the signal changes that we're making and crossing changes. This is an existing signal at Irvin and a new PED signal that we're recommending at Oregon. So there's significant collision history here, and we got tons of community feedback. Um, there's also direct access from here to Sutterville Elementary School that is just uh, up on screen, west in real life from here. And this is an important connection from Hollywood Park over to the elementary school. So we're recommending um, not just a crossing here with a PED signal, but also some access control with the median. Um, uh, there's... We, we had some thoughts about putting in just a pen signal here and vehicles using the pedestrian actuation of that signal as an opportunity to like rush through the intersection. And we were worried that that would cause maybe potentially more conflict points. And so, and there's alternate routes. And so we are proposing right now to um, close this off and make that right in, right out on either side of the median and allow bikes and peds to go through with a refuge. This is one of those locations that we still need to iterate to get into greater detail. Um, this exhibit makes it look really zigzaggy there in the in the middle, like right here, um, which will, that's not exactly how it'll look in real life. We're looking at some other um, examples from other cities and the consultant team is really doing a lot of research to see exactly what that will look like. Um, also, I wanted to highlight something that came out of our last, last time I presented to you, I, or Drew presented to you about this, is we talked about driveway consolidation. You'll see so many driveways here. And um, we are recommending driveway consolidation in this plan, but this is one of those other things with a caveat is they likely won't happen when the rest of the plan is implemented because it takes a lot of um, negotiation with the businesses and other factors to make those happen. So they'll likely happen as the properties turn over. But once it's captured in this plan, we have, um, we have some leverage to make that happen. So I'll run through these pretty quickly. Um, we see a similar um, access control and pedestrian crossing at uh, Drawaway. That's also um, same same situation. Really, it's great access to the elementary school, and there was a big community desire and crash history here. So it, it's been supported. These next two crossings that I'll highlight at 38th and Hughes, um, they they have a different um, land use. So we aren't 
um, proposing that same access control ease locations primarily because on the bottom of your screen, that is the executive airport. So um, there, these are really just three-legged intersections. And so these are important HUD crossings. You might ask, why is somebody walking over to the executive airport? But really what these provide is access to northbound transit and the bike lane traveling northbound. And we really heard from a lot of people that to access those things now um, is very difficult. So there's a lot of wrong way riding north of these two locations. And I think I'll just move on to next steps, which are really similar to, as I mentioned, these projects are moving sort of side by side. And so, but the virtual workshop is not till next week. And so mark your calendars for October 26th. We'll hopefully hear a lot of good feedback. Um, we're doing the similar open house the following Saturday from the workshop. Um, we're gonna do that at Rock Ridge Library. Um, and then workshop materials will be posted online, freeportblvd.com. And um, I think that's it, same timeline. We're expecting a public draft in the new year. Thanks for hanging in there with me, everyone. Wonderful, thanks so much, Leslie. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Chair, we currently have no members of the public with their hands raised. Okay, um, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? And I see a few hands. I will start with Commissioner Hine. Hi, Leslie, thank you. I am so excited about this as well. Question, um, you probably had some of the same issues with the businesses because there is no PBIT on Freeport. So do you have to do a lot of um, going door to door trying to ask questions in regards to um, some, of the, some of the traffic calming um, things? So wondering if um, the new oh, signal that is near the gas station if that has um, caused any issues or if they're liking that. Um, and then secondly, the Sutterville and Freeport section. Um, I saw that you had buffered bike lanes. Is that what that was there? Is that because you're considering putting a roundabout in there? Because I know that's a right turn. The turning lane goes into the bike lane. Um, so I'll answer the first question first, but I might need clarification yeah. about the second. Okay. Um, you, correct. We've done a lot of door to door. We've had um, the Asian Chambers support, and they've really okay. been helpful with us okay. going door to door on this um, corridor. So they've been really helpful. But again, it's a lot of um, walking the boulevard and meeting people and having conversations. So similar story, different community. Um, about Sutterville, I think, I, I don't know if I understand your question. But I saw on the other picture where you had Sutterville and um, Freeport, and there's a section where there's a bike lane and the turning lane. So the bike, you go into the turning lane, you have to cross the bike lane. And it looked like you had um, ballers. Yeah, it looks like there's ballers in that turning section. So I was wondering, yeah, this, this won't be the exact layout. At okay, the okay. Yeah, this is the rest okay. of that segment south of the roundabout. Okay, okay, okay. It's a very short segment. Okay, because I was going to say, I was like, that's a difficult turn. That's already an issue. That's already a difficult area. So wondering how that was going to be um, 
how it's going to look going forward. Okay. Yeah, it's likely at the roundabout that we'll use a similar grade separation technique that I showed at uh, in El Camino. Okay. Where we won't have room for the full um, separated bikeway, and that wouldn't really work in a roundabout anyway. But we're looking at options to grade separate, so to have the bikes okay. up to get to the crossing and then cross there to get across the roundabout. Okay. Again, though, the roundabout details, we, we have a lot of work to do. Right now, we really want to get like a gut check with the community to see if this is even something that they want. So we sketched something out that we believe is feasible. And so we want to hear what they have to say about it before we get into more detailed design. Perfect. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Commissioner Heim. Uh, Commissioner Brazel. Thank you very much for the presentation. Um, my question is also with the roundabout uh, at Sutterville and Freeport there, and it, you have a S there. Is that I haven't seen a roundabout with a signal in it, or is that part of that, or is it going to roundabout by itself um, supposed to just enable you know slow traffic down enough to allow crossings? So this little curve here really is to provide deflection coming into the roundabout. That's really to slow vehicles down as they approach the roundabout. Um, that is, I mean, that's always a good traffic calming feature for people using active transportation, but really it's also so that, you know, uh, people are going the proper speed to make the turning movements that they need to. Um, we are discussing signalization here in camp. We don't know exactly what's appropriate right now um, for that. We've discussed RFPs, but we're still doing some research about what is consistent with our PED crossing guidelines and what is best practices. So we don't we don't really have, I don't think we have a multi-lane roundabout anywhere in the city of Sacramento. So this is gonna take a lot of, um, like I said, iterative design to decide what's the best um, control at those crossings. Yeah, like I said, my main concern would be for the bicycles and pedestrians going northbound there and trying to uh, cross that Inner or the, the the crosswalk there, if with without any stop signs, that, that would yeah that sometimes going to be a continuous flow of traffic and uh, mm -hmm. very difficult to cross. So totally, yeah. So and I think the the disability advisory committee and the disability advocacy community will have issues with that as well. So we really want to be mindful that everybody can get across here. Um, so there'll be some control, but um, like I said, to be determined what exactly that will be. Um, but we'll make sure it fits within our standards and best practices and that we're considering all users. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Heidorn. Yeah, thank you again for uh, this presentation. And I, you, you touched briefly on one of the segments, you're gonna put the bike lane uh, to the left of parking as opposed to the right. And you gave an explanation, but I didn't quite follow what was the reason for why that's preferable? So um, right here, we don't have the space to put the like parking protection, right? So we don't have the width. We would, if we put the parking next to the travel lane and then the bikeway close to the curb, right? Then um, that requires 10 feet and, and buffer and sight lines at the intersections. And so it's not the ideal design for this little segment um, because one of the reasons we are leaving the parking here is because it's really, really high turnover and it's used a lot. And so we, we didn't want to reduce the number of spaces with that design for just like a block and a half. 
And so um, what I was discussing, though, in my presentation was putting room for a slight buffer between the bike lane and the travel lane that we do have room for that we will propose just to add a little more space um, as you're riding right next to traffic. Got it. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Likewise. Actually, one, one quick question. Was there a segment that you're proposing that has no buffer and no separation or everything either has even a little bit of buffer or separation? This is the smallest buffer. And then, like I mentioned around the roundabout, we might we might have to do a grade separation. So then the bikes will be at the level of the sidewalk. Um, so it won't be a buffer, a vertical buffer, but they will be grade separated. That's the concept right now. But again, the roundabout has a lot of work to be done. Got it. Thank you. Wonderful. Uh, thanks so much for all those questions. I think it's really helpful and seeing the design, I'm really excited uh, to see where this corridor is going. Um, particularly rid of my bike uh, near Land Park area. And it, it was a little challenging. So um, yeah, glad to see you as thinking about a roundabout. Curious if a separated bikeway within the roundabout is something that you all looked at or? Um, I don't know enough about roundabout design to answer okay. your question specifically, oh, but yeah. I really trust my um, engineering team. I'm sure that they considered whatever was feasible there. Um, we've really tried yeah. to prioritize you know, active transportation here because that's really, um, at that intersection in particular, we've mm -hmm. seen a lot of crashes involving um, people riding bikes and walking. And so really we wanted to um, really elevate the experience in whatever way possible for the active transportation user. I think a benefit that I didn't highlight there is also in the existing condition, the transit stop is right here on this island. Yeah. And so we have the opportunity to move that up closer to City College and um, really enhance access to transit here too. That's great. Um, I believe um, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, there we go, DOT, has some good separated bikeway guidance and they include language around roundabouts as well. So happy to- Thank you. We'll definitely look into that. A couple of members of the project team were just at the NACDO conference. Oh, that. perfect. So, yeah. Oh yeah. NACDO, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they definitely, they're a, uh, don't give up on the intersection guidance is fantastic. So um, highly encourage that. And yeah, that's uh, interesting that we would put a bus stop at that location to begin <laughs> with. Um, but you know, I also don't think the slip lane was a, a great idea to begin with either. So that's that particular point right there is where I've uh, seen a lot of challenges with folks on bicycles because people are not uh, slowing around that turn the way that they should be. So. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think this is super helpful. You've, um, maybe one more time, if you just want to plug when those events are taking place. Um, well, thank you, Chair. I'll yeah. put this up here. If anyone <laughs> wants to screenshot, take a photo, anything, um, uh, next Wednesday, the 26th, uh, the following Saturday, the 29th, um, and freeportblvd.com. And, um, Again, the mailing list, we will keep everyone posted and I will be back to talk to you when we have a draft plan. So look forward to seeing you in the new year if I don't see you sooner about other projects. Fantastic. Thanks again, Leslie. Thank you, everyone. All right. We're chugging along, folks. Just one more item, um, which is uh, commissioner comments 
ideas, questions, oh, sorry. The next item is commissioner comments, ideas, and questions. Um, are there any commissioners who wish to speak on this item? I see a couple quick hands. I'll start with uh, Commissioner Ward-Waller. Thank you, Chair. Um, I just wanted to share um, kind of a personal note. I had a friend just a couple of weeks ago that got hit while she was biking by a vehicle. Um, she was actually taking her three-year-old to daycare and he was on her cargo bike at the time. Um, luckily, the, the child was fine, but my friend was pretty badly injured. She was in the hospital for a couple of days, um, had some broken ribs. Um, so just really am feeling this month, the urgency around safety for people trying to get around our city, um, biking and walking. And um, I, I was trying to, as we were in this meeting, look at the bike plan and see what was proposed. She was hit at the corner of T and Alhambra um, folks may be familiar with that. There's kind of, T does kind of a funny jog. Um, and, you know, I think the driver said the sunlight was in his eyes in the morning, so didn't see her, but um, just, you know, really, um, I, I can't, you know, stress enough how important our work is and the staff's work um, to really try to implement traffic calming and safety measures and um, just all the, all the things that um, your team, Jennifer, is doing um, at the city. So, um, just a comment, nothing for the log, but, um, but definitely be safe out there, folks, and um, we got to keep, uh, keep pushing forward to make our streets safer. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Woodwaller. Yeah, 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, gosh, especially when it's getting a little bit darker earlier, too, just really um, important. Uh, Commissioner Heidorn. I uh, wanted to start by saying thank you all uh, for my first meeting and uh, getting to hear everyone's questions. I'm learning a lot and uh, really fortunate to, to be here. Um, I did want to ask one question, which is at the last meeting, there's a discussion of maybe a subcommittee or a working group on kind of financing issues. And I'm, if that is still happening, I'm extremely interested in this. It, it seems like at the last meeting, this meeting, one of the big issues is just there's there's not enough money. And so if people are working on that, I'd be interested in in helping out or, or joining if, if that's possible within the Brown Act. Yeah, so um, I think that discussion was um, connected to um, a report that we're um, putting together. Um, unfortunately, at this time, uh, the committee or the subcommittee is full. Um, so we can't have any additional commissioners work on it. Um, but I think you, you can share those ideas with Jennifer and she can share them with me. Um, so okay. if you want to provide, uh, you know, some written thoughts um, around that, then that's when we can approach it. I believe Jennifer, is that correct? Sorry to put you on the spot. That's okay. If I can just figure out how to turn on my camera and microphone, it would be great. Um, naturally not, because you want to avoid any um, violations of the Brown Act. The Brown Act means that communications and the discussions need to happen within less than uh, half of the commissioners. So unfortunately, Commissioner Hydor can't participate in the report that you're working on, which is the last subcommittee of this commission, since subcommittees are no longer allowed. 
However, um, my understanding of the work that the subcommittee is doing is tangentially related to funding, and it sounds like the commissioner's questions are more so specific about how projects get funded. So it might we have had we have had presentations on transportation funding before. It might be something that Commissioner Heidorn, if you're interested in um, another presentation and discussion on how transportation funding works. Um, and if that is the case, then you can make that request during this time and answer those four questions that we outlined so that we can put it on the logs, so that we can add it to our future agenda. Thank you. I'll, I'll hold off for now. I, I think I'm mostly interested in like, how can we generate more money for you guys to do the wonderful work that you do, but I'll think about it. And, and if that's going to be addressed in the report, I'll just provide comment when the report comes out. Um, the last thing I just want to share, not for the log, but an interest of mine particularly, and maybe others have interest in this too, but one of the things that motivated me to be interested in this is I've noticed there are a lot of areas where we've got wonderful bike infrastructure, then it disappears just for like a block or two, and then it picks back up. But I have to say, as someone uh, who uses this particularly for transporting kids, it's a huge deterrent to me using the system at all. And so I'm really interested in these micro gaps, these tiny little gaps that seem like uh, you know, a small investment could have a huge payoff. So I'm not quite sure what to do with that yet, but just want to share with this group that that's something at least on my mind that I think a lot about. Thanks. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of us agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, being able to connect uh, those gaps is something that uh, would be really great. I think for getting more folks uh, feeling comfortable walking and biking uh, across the city. So, um, you know, the city does have the bicycle master plan that talks about some of those potential projects. So there might be an opportunity or they might've already identified those specific locations. Um, so suggest giving that document a look um, I know they were hoping to update it, though, as well um, soon. So another opportunity, I guess, to share those specific locations with, with staff. Um, okay, Vice Chair Pollins. Uh, thank you, Chair Bill Westbrook. Um, I just wanted to add a quick... Uh, Vice Chair Pollins, you've gone mute. Are you on mute? Sorry, I forgot when I press spacebar to unmute and then I go through another <laughs> window. It um, messes up things. So I just wanted to say that the uh, California Bicycle uh, Coalition, CalBike.org, uh, we've had an unprecedented support for active transportation from legislature and the governor signing bills. So. Um, one that was especially important to me was uh, the ability, uh, AB 2147, the Freedom to Walk Act. So now pedestrians can um, cross in the middle of a crosswalk when it's safe. Um, and just technically uh, had a greater effect on communities of color or underserved communities. Um, because it was just really a method to give the officers an excuse to fight uh, or arrest someone. So that is a huge, huge, huge advancement for uh, so, uh, If you're not a member of CalBike.org or 
even if you don't want to be a member, just uh, go to their website and look at their um, news, news section. They have a lot of reporting on that will help our cause. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Chair Pollins. All right. Um, Moving on to the last, okay. Uh, the, the last item is public comments. Matters not on the agenda. Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on public comments? Matters not on the agenda. Thank you, Chair. We do have one member of the public with their hand raised. Our speaker is Matt Anderson. Good evening, commissioners and chair. Matt Anderson, uh, resident, District 4. I um, just wanted to say thank you, and I'll be brief because I know it's late. Uh, just wanted to note um, on Commissioner Ward-Waller's point, uh, since your last meeting, at least uh, six people on bicycles uh, or on foot have been hit and killed by cars in Sacramento city limits. Uh, so this is absolutely important. Uh, and what you do, um, please, shout it from the rooftops uh, and advocate as loudly as you can, as forcefully as you can um, to anyone who will listen because uh, it's, it's dangerous out there. Um, and what you're doing here is very important. Um, also, I really wanna thank uh, Commissioner Heidorn for bringing up uh, funding again. I think that's a, a really important point that was emphasized by a lot of the uh, presentations tonight on the traffic calming, um, on several of those uh, proposed studies. Uh, and also just our amazing staff. Like, <laughs> they do so much with so few staff. Imagine what we could do with five or 10 Leslie's or Jennifer's uh, or Megan's. I, I really think um, the, the commission should consider their role um, in advocating for funding for active transportation in the city, uh, whether that is getting involved in the budgeting cycle in the CIP process or some other manner, but that might be something to take home and consider over the next month and um, consider putting on the log next uh, agenda because I think that's really important uh, way for the commission to get involved. And I would love to see uh, something that's not annual grant applications be a uh, continual source of funding in the city of Sacramento and, and be able to increase our staff and our ability to uh, implement this um, gigantic backlog of projects as uh, Jennifer Donlin Wyant uh, spoke about in previous meetings. So thanks again for uh, sticking with uh, us this entire night and uh, have a great rest of your night. Thank you for your Thank comments. You. Chair, we have no additional speakers. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, to all the commissioners, to city staff and to everyone that uh, joined in for our meeting uh, this month and um, that concludes today's agenda um, and the meeting is now adjourned. Good night.